Paul really knows how to mix his metaphors. Within a matter of verses, it's unclear if the church is God's garden or field, or whether the church is God's building or temple. Paul and other apostles are either planters and waterers, or they're skilled master builders. They deal in seeds and watering cans, hoes and shovels, or precious stones and metals, wood, hay, and straw. In fact, it all gets very scrunchy in a single sentence at one point. For we are God's servants, Paul writes, working together, for you are God's field, God's building. Well, which is it? I'm trying to enter into Paul's metaphor here. Imagery is something that really works for me. It's something that's potent and meaningful and inspiring and illuminating for me. And in fact, my spiritual director just reflected this back to me very recently. It's something I think I knew about myself, but it's always interesting to have somebody name something that you didn't quite see in yourself. I deal in imagery. I frequently use imagery to describe an experience, not because I'm looking for imagery, but because it just sort of rises up within me. So I am trying to enter Paul's metaphor. I want to enter Paul's metaphor. I can't help but enter Paul's metaphor to alert my senses to it. But I can't tell if I smell the rich, deep scents of newly turned soil, which takes me back to my Swiss dairy farming days and a feeling of quiet, powerful connection to the land. Or if it's the spicy smell of freshly sawed wood, which makes me think of my dad and takes me back to a comforting childhood place where I felt safe and I think proud of my dad. So are we in a garden or are we in a construction site, Paul, for all metaphor and imagery-loving people out here? Please pick one and stick to it. Paul really knows how to mix his metaphors. But the point of a metaphor is to reveal something. Something that's deeper or beyond or underneath that metaphor. And I do think that his point in both of these is the same. God is the source of garden growth. And Jesus is the foundation already laid on which everything is built. And we were builders or were planters and waterers. We are whatever supporting role we are in whatever metaphor you want to choose. But it's God who is the source of growth, and it's Jesus upon which everything else is built. Now, as Amy has already talked about really beautifully in the children's time story, the Corinthians are succumbing to something that I know intimately, a major competitive streak. Mine rears its head when playing ping pong with Nancy and Emily, or Dutch Blitz with Sage and Thalia and a circle of other card-slapping speedsters up at snow camp, or if I'm playing Rook or anything with the Raymer family. We can turn anything into a competition. But in Corinth, it's not just a friendly streak of competitiveness and a fun game among people who really genuinely like each other. I really like you, Nancy. 
It's pretty clear that all of Paul's talk throughout these nearly two chapters that we heard this morning of Apollos versus Cephas or Peter versus himself, the Jesus followers of Corinth are choosing teams. They are claiming loyalties, and the stakes are much higher than bragging rights. I won at ping pong, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Only once, Nancy is saying. (laughs) It's clear the stakes are much higher than bragging rights. They are thinking themselves better or truer or more faithful or right than all the other teams. And Paul, in writing this letter, resists the bait. He teases out their disparate loyalties to various leaders, and he encourages them to claim their unity in their common foundation on the person of Jesus, in their common growth as sourced in God, their master gardener. That's the point of Paul's mixed metaphors. And it makes me think of an article that's popped up several times on my Facebook feed in the last week or two. Actually, it was a blog post that was written by a guy named Benjamin Corey, provocatively titled, I'm a Christian, but I'm not interested in living biblically. And in it, among other insightful things that he says, he writes about how the term biblical has become a sort of code word signaling rightness, correctness, or purity in a way that nothing else can. And I think his primary audience is probably a little more evangelical or fundamentalist than we tend to be, but something about it caught my attention and brushed up against Paul's words to the Corinthians. Now don't, make mis- now don't mistake what I'm about to say, he writes. I am a Christian, a committed, devoted Christian, and I have been for more years of my life than I have not been. But, and here's the kicker, I'm not interested in having a biblical worldview or even in following the Bible. This isn't to say I don't love the Bible. I do, he writes. I believe the Bible is inspired and useful just as the New Testament claims. It's just that the Christian life is not about developing a biblical worldview or following the Bible. The Christian life is all about, what's the right answer to every question in church? Jesus. (laughs) And I have to be honest, he writes, those two things don't always align in harmony. The goal has always been for us to meet Jesus. And to follow him. Or as Paul says it in Corinthians, incidentally, or not so incidentally, the favorite Bible verse of our 16th century namesake as Mennonites, Menno Simons. This was famously his favorite verse in all the Bible. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Christ Jesus. No one can lay any other foundation. It's already been laid. That foundation is Christ Jesus. So it's not about your human loyalties to various leaders, Paul seems to say. It's not about distractions like biblicism or jockeying for who's most right. It's about God, the giver of all growth, and Christ Jesus, the foundation of everything you are and do. And this is serious to Paul. 
We can see just how serious it is to him when encountering that well-developed parental tone of Paul's that Amy highlighted for us last Sunday. And in this passage, you may have noticed he even calls himself their father and calls them his beloved children. There's no way we could escape reading nearly two chapters, two full chapters, without Paul trotting out the tone. Did you catch it from the very end of our reading today? It was sort of an abrupt place. Christy was reading it. It just sort of hangs there. He says, what would you prefer? Not so innocently. Am I to come to you with a stick or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And I can practically hear my mother standing at the top of the steps yelling down at the basement, don't make me come down there. Am I to come to you with a stick? Paul writes, what do you prefer? Or love and a spirit of gentleness. But even as he over and over in Corinthians takes that tone with that congregation in Corinth, he does not disregard their worth. Far from it. Also in our excerpt from today, he writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that you is plural. I grew up associating these words with Paul, from Paul. This was a familiar passage growing up, I think particularly in junior high and high school when everybody was worried about what we were doing with our bodies. I grew up hearing this as... Uh, my body was the temple of God, and to not use my individual body in any unholy ways, because it was the temple of God. And while that's not necessarily a bad message, even as the implications of that message were a bit distorted in the more puritanical culture in which I came of age, that's not at all what Paul is saying here. It's just not even close to what he's addressing. Paul isn't saying anything about my individual body or your individual body, or more to the point, the individual bodies of the Corinthians to whom he's writing 2,000 years ago. He's saying, y'all are God's temple. All y'all are God's temple. Together, you are God's temple. You are a worthy dwelling place for God's spirit. (sighs) somehow, despite the propensity to divisions and claiming loyalties and staking claims, despite all of that, y'all are God's temple. Together, we smell like the rich, deep scents of newly turned soil, a garden in which we plant and we water and God gives growth. And together, we emit the spicy smell of freshly sawed wood, a building set upon the foundation that's already been laid, Jesus, a building worthy as a dwelling place for God's very own spirit. May it be so, friends. May it be so. We're going to sing together about this oneness of our body. It's from Green, the Green Sing the Journey songbooks, number 72. 
And these songbooks were brand new just before my ordination service. And this is one that I just fell in love with immediately. And so I asked a choir of folks from the church to sing it in my ordination service. It seemed a really good time when there's all this focus on one person and one person's calling and we're lifting up that one person to say that really it's all y'all. It's all y'all that are the body together. So let's stand in body or in spirit as we sing together, One is the Body.